It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And there we go. I got the grasshopper. I got the grasshopper. And the shooting star. And uh, I don't think it was a shooting star. That was, um, um, uh, now you said that, now I can't remember what it is. It was uh, a tra- mm-hmm. trout lily. There was a trout, ah, okay. trout lily and um, the other spring ephemeral that I can't remember the name of. Um, darn. Maybe some folks who are watching will know, but I it went by pretty fast. didn't see it long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, yeah, since I actually remembered, and 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 so since we're here uh, doing talking about flowers, uh, let us show our our photo <laughs> of the week. <laughs> here is our our photo of the week. Uh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> that is in uh, your driveway. That's resiliency. That that is that is the this is. Um, the the uh, I remember a couple of years ago we had these uh, cards that we handed out to people about the show mm-hmm. and it had an amaranth growing out of asphalt. Well, here we are. Here's a violet growing out of asphalt, um, and uh, that that is us. This is uh, this is a metaphor for our show, which is uh, well, uh, times are hard, but we're struggling and and we'll bloom if we have to uh, in a crack in the sidewalk. So. Um, that's a great photo. We got, we're going to use that for, uh, for other things. <laughs> I don't know what yet, but, uh, that photo is, uh, is, is a classic. In fact, it's going into, it's, it's definitely going into one, one of my garden talks. And, uh, by the way, I don't say this enough. Uh, those of you who are listening or with garden clubs, uh, feel free to hire me. The, uh, I'm registered with the garden clubs of Illinois. And, uh, I know because they, <laughs> Every That's every better. okay, there you go. What the? What was that? Um, oh, it was sitting on some paper. Uh, don't do that. Uh, and every year, you know, they send me the, uh, the the update, and you know, got to pay a little fee to be listed in in the catalog. But uh, mm-hmm. I I got that done, and I actually did it more or less on time this year. Usually, they're sending me three or four wow. emails. I know, and they say, <laughs> uh, Mike. Mike, oh, oh, oh! Since we're doing show and tell, and right before we get to our first guest, because we're very excited about the show today, um, we have an exclusive interview with Nicole Virgil, who is the woman behind the Right to Garden 
movement in Illinois, uh, meaning a bill that was uh, in Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it has passed both the House and the Senate, and it's on its way to Governor J.B. Pritzker's desk. Uh, How cool is (laughs) I don't know what you're doing with that dinger, (laughs) but uh, there we go. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's falling apart. Uh, So anyway, we start with her and Ari Bargill from uh, the Institute for Justice. They're back on the show. They were here just the beginning of March. And things didn't look as good then, and holy smoke, all of a sudden, within two days, the bill passes through both houses of the General Assembly in Illinois. And uh, uh, we're, we're just about to talk, but just before we do that, since we're doing show and tell here, mm-hmm. um, here we go. This is uh, my uh, Cherokee purple. We've got Very a whole, nice. We've got a whole bunch of um, a nice root system, too. I don't know. Yeah. If you, look at those roots, baby. Wow. Yeah. Roots, baby. Yeah. And, and if you folks are so, saying, so why you did you... already for, for the salad already? Uh, or the forks I'm in not gonna. I'm not going to eat uh, this cherry. No, I'm going to eat it only when it produces tomatoes. No, I was uh, curious why the fork was in there. Because it's... See, speaking of uh, recycling, this is a way to recycle a plastic fork. You can label it. You put the label on oh, it. Oh, okay. Now I can see and then I you see that. And then you stick it in the with your with your growing medium and you can put it in your garden whatever uh because we found we had a whole supply of plastic forks and they're not biodegradable mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that with our second set of guests today from the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition Brian uh Crumstock and uh Mike uh, Demucci I, why Benjamin do I keep Crumstock. why do I, I I did that on Facebook I called him Brian Benjamin Benjamin's too many it's got too many syllables Benjamin um I don't. I don't think he goes by Ben. I think he goes by Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Crumstock and uh, Mike Demucci, uh, and they talk about. We'll talk about the dangers of trying to compost. Not dangers, but the problems with trying to compost these kinds of forks. But at any rate, so if you got a bunch left over, like I do, you you write on them and you use them as garden markers. And wait, one more. And if you have a black fork, you got to put a little tab on there. This is our. Uh, or you could use the silver sharpie I gave you, um, if I could find it. And uh, this is the uh, the Chine- Chinese uh, long uh, cucumber. And look nice. at that! Look at that baby! It's happy. Ooh. We so we've got a bunch of stuff growing, and so uh, in in under our happy leaf grow lights here uh, at the, the and and a bunch of stuff, including beets and. Uh, but mostly tomatoes. I think we've got like <laughs> 28 tomatoes or something. <laughs> Feeding the block again. We will be. We'll be given to all our neighbors. All right. Let's get to uh, uh, the the topic at hand today because, uh, as I mentioned, um, I'm I'm very, very pleased that we can bring that woman on right there. Are you okay? <laughs> Are the lights a little bright there, uh, Nicole? <laughs> I'm fine. Good morning, Mike. <laughs> Uh, you know, I know you've been chasing kids around uh, all morning at your place, so uh, yeah. I, I apologize that I'm interrupting your Sunday breakfast uh, to do this, but this is really, really excellent news, um, and you must have had a little uh, toast of champagne or something when you found out that the bill, I mean, you kind of expected the House vote to go well, but the Senate was a little surprising, wasn't it? Actually, Mike, I have to confess to you, this might sound um, 
surprising, but okay. I have been I have been losing everything for so many years with this work that unbeknownst even to me, I have acclimated to losing in these situations. <laughs> wow. So when we actually won, I experienced a shock that I don't think I've experienced in my adult life because I was just so prepared to lose. <laughs> so oh. um, I felt just absolute bliss, surprise. I was stunned um, in, in the case of the house even more so because the house was the first hearing we had. Yeah. And certainly we, we did go in strong and Sonia Harper, our chief uh, sponsor in the house is, is phenomenal on these issues and we knew we had her strong support. But nonetheless, I've had strong support from various institutions and individuals and elected officials before, and it just hasn't seemed to manifest in a victory. So I was prepared with my notepad to keep track of the vote and who was against us and, um, and lobby them to try to change them for next session. I was not doing this consciously. It's just a pattern that has developed over mm -hmm. the years. Um, and so when I was keeping track of the, the roll count, you know, when they were voting, I realized, wait a second, these numbers keep going up. We're winning. <laughs> I can't. And then I think I checked out for a second because I was so stunned. And when I came back, they said, you know, the bill, the bill had passed uh, wow. by an overwhelming majority. And so I, I was I was and still a little bit continue to be uh, experiencing profound surprise. Yeah, well, it passed the House 92 to 24. And uh, let's bring in Ari Bargill as well, who is from the uh, Institute for Justice, who is one of your supporters for this bill. Uh, good morning, Ari. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Uh, are you kidding? It's it's such a pleasure to have you here. I thank you for being here. I know you're kind of juggling your schedule so that you can do this. So uh, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so it passed the House uh, 92 to 24. And then two days later, it passes the Senate 52 to 4, which is kind of, it's wow. even a stronger vote. That is just just remarkable. And we should probably set the scene a little bit for those folks who are not familiar with the story. Now, uh, Nicole's been on the pro I, I got to think this is the fifth time you've been on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I think She's so. a regular by now. Yeah, I know. We, I'm going to have you start doing gardening reports. And actually, that's not a bad thing. If and when you get your hoop house back up, I'd love to have you come on the show and just talk about backyard gardening and saying, hey, here's what's growing in the hoop house this week. Um, this month, what, whatever we do, I mean, it would be, wouldn't it be nice to be able to just, uh, talk about gardening and not have to worry about, uh, legislation and going to city council meetings and that sort of thing. Mike, it would be fantastic. And we'd be happy to have you. Uh, uh, the, so, uh, maybe, maybe we'll do a remote once, uh, everybody gets sure. to be together again in a post COVID world, whatever that looks like. Uh, so here's the way it worked and I'll do a real quickly, uh, cause I know there's, there's a lot here and folks who are not familiar with the story should know that Nicole was first on our show in 2017. And at that point she had been dealing with this for two years, uh, or close to two years. Um, right. and it was the city of Elmhurst. You live in the city of Elmhurst, which is a suburb of Illinois. Um, and your family had constructed a hoop house in the backyard to extend the growing season, sustainability in action, right? Hmm? 
and uh, and but the city came around and said, uh, and and there seems to be some conflict about how it all originally went down. There's nothing on paper at from that point. There's no recording, so yeah, we're taking each side's word for it. But the idea is the city said that um, the uh, hoop house violated uh, building code. Uh, and you said, well, but you're implying it to permanent buildings and not our hoop house. Um, and so you said, no, we should have the right to do it. And they said, no. So you started going to, uh, different kinds of meeting, five development planning meetings, three zoning and planning commission meetings. Um, and there was a lot of back and forth and some of it wasn't friendly. Uh, a lot of it wasn't friendly as a matter of fact. Um, and you got frustrated after several years and so you said, okay, let's go to the General Assembly and see if we can remedy it that way. Because basically the city of Elmhurst, and correct me if I'm getting any of this wrong, they had dug in their heels at this point. And they didn't want to talk to you and they weren't going to talk to you. And so you said, well, if you're not going to talk to me, I will talk to some legislators and let's see what happens. So you go to Springfield and you get a bill introduced, a right to garden bill introduced, so you can put a hoop, hoop house and extend your growing season and grow vegetables in Elmhurst, Illinois. Uh, and last year, it didn't get through. Um, you know, these things happen. Bills don't always get through the first year. So you tried again this year. Representative Sonia Harper, who you alluded to earlier, uh, introduced House Bill 633. Uh, and then in the Senate, the David Kaler, Senator David Kaler, uh, brought in SB 170. Um, there were hearings. There were committee meetings. Um, and, and we're going to show a part of a committee meeting in a little bit with uh, Representative Sonia Harper, which is a pretty remarkable moment, um, and, and I think you'll find it interesting. Um, and so uh, you came back in early March to our show, and, and Ari, you were with us, and uh, you guys were looking at what, and, and as again, you mentioned earlier, Nicole, you, you had no idea that it was going to go as well as it did. In fact, after you were on the show, uh, the committee, the House committee voted favorably, voted it out of committee. Um, and then you said, OK, um, uh, groups like the Illinois Municipal League and others are, are they're They're fighting hard. I don't know how well this is going to go. Surprise, surprise. In a few weeks, it passed both houses. So have I have I gotten that pretty much correct? Yes, sir. I'm doing my Rachel Maddow here. <laughs> this is my Rachel Maddow thing. Well, please tell me if I've got anything right. Hey, Rachel, you got a whole staff doing this for you, so you better get it right. This is me uh, doing this one. But good. So I'm glad that's the story. So, Ari, let's go to you um, because you're one. Oh, and, and before I forget, um, uh, it wasn't just you. Um, there were other groups involved, like the Illinois Environmental Council, the Illinois Stewardship Alliance, DuPage County NAACP, Sustained DuPage, and of course, you had a lot of governor—I'm uh, sorry, gardeners—across the state uh, who were supporting you, including me, including this show. Um, um, and uh, Ari, um, given how it went, were were you surprised? Um, I think I was a little less surprised than Nicole was because, you know, we, we sort of arrived to this issue a little bit later. Um, and, you know, Nicole, as she mentioned, had, had some difficulty um, in getting the bill out of committee. Um, and I think that's where a little bit more institutional oomph uh, might have helped push things along. But at the same time, you know, all of those uh, past experiences 
from Nicole were not for naught, as you mentioned a moment ago, Nicole has raised an army of supporters. Um, and <laughs> yeah. so it's, it, it really, and uh, you know, that, that really isn't too much of an overstatement. Um, and so it, it was easy for a group like us to come in and sort of harness a lot of the uh, infrastructure and relationships that Nicole had built and to, to just give it a little bit more of a push um, to simplify the bill a little bit, um, to, to use some of our institutional expertise to understand how these things work and, and what, where, where you know, legislators can get caught up and the types of things that cause bills to stall. And we, you know, I think just help streamline things a little bit and then we're able to get a little bit mm -hmm. more uh, uh, leverage behind it using the very, very valuable uh, you know, connections and, and network that Nicole had already developed over the last few years. Right. And that's that's an important part of getting any piece of legislation through is what are the relationships? You just don't waltz into the General Assembly or any state uh, uh, governmental body and uh, say, hey, you guys should pass this because it's right. Well, often, there are, you know, there are there are things that are right and just that nobody knows about. So you have to work those relationships. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Nicole, it's obviously something you did. Yeah, from the very beginning, uh, when we were told, even at the local level, it seemed clear to me that I would not be able to uh, convince anybody by myself that we needed to have a consortium of people. So um, immediately I went to local groups like Citizens Advocacy Center. They help you figure out how to navigate local government issues and talking to neighbors. And uh, we had someone volunteer to do uh, video recordings of different meetings and put together sort of a, a grassroots documentary, which we held. So over the years, we've done all kinds of things uh, and and all of it has, has added up. I have to say it was a bit seat of my pants not having done this before, but, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it all adds up. You know, that's a really good point, Ari. I, I want to address you on that because I'm sure in your work with the Institute for Justice, you work with a lot of folks like Nicole I don't know how to go to the state legislator, leg, legislature. What do I do? How do I possibly start this? And those people learn, don't they? And, and suddenly they've become experts, at least in the area of their particular concern. That's absolutely right. I mean, I, I will say this. Uh, Nicole is, is still nevertheless unique um, in, in her capacity to, to understand things quickly and to figure out how to get things done. She is one of the most fantastic change makers I've ever been around. Um, no. But that, that having been said, um, a lot of a lot of, you know, average citizens, uh, it's, it's not in their day to day to think about these sorts of things. People often get forced into positions of activism. Um, when they recognize a, an, an injustice that they just can't live with and realize that they have to change it. Um, and yeah. it's very, very common and somewhat condescending, I think, uh, for, for, you know, and you hear this a lot when, when others say, hey, you know, if you don't like something, just, just get the law changed. That's democracy in action. Um, and there's a kernel of truth to that, I guess. But what people are taking for granted is how tremendously difficult it is to actually accomplish anything, even at the local level and how deeply entrenched some of the interests are that you have to fight against um, in order to accomplish some of your goals. Uh, yeah. So that's where an organization- we don't even know are there in many cases. Right, right. And, and, but then when you find out that they're there, um, sometimes it's not surprising because that can explain why some of the systems are so broken. It's because, well, they're actually working for some people. 
yeah. Well, and, 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 and the other thing, where... the other thing I would say is they're lobbyists. They've been there for years. They have cultivated all these relationships in a way that they're getting Nicole, paid to do it, right? And Nicole is is doing this in her spare time. She's passionate about an issue, but she's got to take time to go to Springfield and talk to people, or get on the Zoom in this day and age and and do that, or on the phone. Um, whereas these other folks already know the legislators, um, and and it's they have much easier access, I would guess, Ari. They, they certainly do, um, and it, it's, a, it's a problem that we have to deal with, and it's, it's why my organization is, in fact, primarily a, a litigation shop, um, because it, it, in many instances, is, is more impactful um, and oddly uh, sometimes less demanding in terms of, of time and relationship to file a lawsuit, it, you know, in Nicole's case, to, to file a lawsuit that would say something like, look, I just have a constitutional right to grow my own food on my own property, and you can't <laughs> tell me that I can't. Um, we didn't do that here, um, but we have done that in other places. And the goal is to just get the laws changed that way, because you know the problem with legislation is that it can always be changed again. But a decision on a on a constitutional issue um, is almost everlasting, and and that's that's typically what my law firm targets. Um, but nevertheless, you know we we were aware of Nicole, and we saw this as an opportunity to to change something at the legislative level. And there's yeah. there's certainly value in that as well. Yes, Peggy. So I have a question then on next steps. So when a, a bill like this goes through, and it's presumably on its way to Governor Pritzker's desk now to be signed sometime in the near future, how long does it take for this to actually be enacted, um, for communities to adopt it, for it to have a difference, say, in your hoop house? Are you asking me, or is that to Ari? Either of you. Yeah. What, you know, what's the next step at this point? Presumably, Governor Pritzker signs it. Can you put the hoop house up next week? Well, I, I, a, I a understand. Process? I understand that even before Governor Pritzker signs it, there's some administrative things that have to be done, right? Some crossing uh, T's and dotting I's, and then it goes. That, right. So, so yes, there's some administrative stuff to happen. We're not quite at the finish line yet. We're close, and we anticipate a, a good result, but. Uh, generally, the governor will sign bills over the summer, could be June, July, or August, and uh, people can put different uh, effective dates into the bill. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, I would hope it would be effective immediately, and it is our expectation that with the passage of the bill and the signing of it by the governor that we will be putting up our hoop house this fall. That is our hope. Uh, that okay. I want to get to that, but before because that's that's an interesting part of it. Uh, the follow up on this and some things you've said to me already. Uh, but before we do this, I want to play this uh, video of the ag committee hearing. This was on March fifteenth of this year, and uh, represent. This is uh, t towards the very end after a lot of people have spoken, including you, Ari and proponents of the bill, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, what's the opposite of proponent? Uh, the opponent. Opponent. Oh, opponent. Thank you. Wow. There was a brain <laughs> spasm there. Whoa. Yikes. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ask me any vocabulary questions today. Um, so, uh, you this can just is... refer to them as those jerks. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. See, those and, guys. And here I am trying to be careful. I'm trying to watch my words here today, Ari. 
Um, this is uh, uh, this start, this starts with uh, 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 Representative Harper towards the end of the meeting being recognized, and then we'll discuss this uh, on the other side. So, chair recognizes uh, Chairwoman Harper for. Uh, I, I understand that there's a lot of angst over what. Um, a bill in the past used to do, but this bill today is a new bill before you. I think that people really do need to be careful and read as, as well, because I don't see why we need to put an amendment to clarify something that's clearly already stated in the language. Um, I just, and I'm saying that to say, over the past two years, I have received some of the most disparaging, disrespectful, racially charged, harassing, trolling, malicious lies, attacks, and everything else. Just over trying to protect a woman's right to garden in her own backyard. I'm even getting attacked in the city of Chicago on my own community garden. I don't know what the, the under overlying issue is of this sentiment against women gardening in their own backyards or on their own blocks, not hurting anyone. But I don't, we need to really nip that in the bud. And that's what we're trying to do with this legislation. All of the concerns that people had with the old bill last year, they're not in this bill this year. So if you're coming here to argue me on a bill that we had last year, that's not that same bill. Please take a chance, read this one. And I think that we can see that this is something that we can move forward with that doesn't step on anybody's toes, but clarifies that people, in fact, do have the right to grow what they, where, what they want in their backyards. Because in 2021, it doesn't seem like that is the case. And that's the problem, especially in an era where we do not have good food access um, um, just during a pandemic and in an area where, where communities for generations have not had access to food access. So I just wanted to put those comments on the record because I kind of hear some of that same sentiment in the air and I want them to be squashed right here in this committee before we go out onto the House floor uh, with this bill. And so those are my words. And um, any more questions, any more concerns? And I ask, I ask uh, everyone for their support. Thank you. <laughs> I love that part at the end where she goes, and thank you. Um, uh, and, and you know what she said there? She said, nip it. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. So there we go. We have to... <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to throw in a little Barney Fife there. But um, um, that's, that was a remarkable statement. Uh, from uh, the representative. Uh, first question I have is for you, Nicole. Uh, have you uh, gotten any of that kind of uh, hate mail um, and uh, um, disparaging uh, mail? Uh, yeah, there's been a variety of comments over the years. Uh, some people in the community have said that I wanted to turn Elmhurst into a, I think the term was Tijuana junkyard. Um, some people have told me that, you know, this is not a farming community and, uh, we've been blessed with a whole foods, which is about a mile from my house. So I don't need to grow food and, oh, you know, a well. variety of other things. So, well, yeah, well, we got a whole foods. Yeah. Hey, end of story. Let's move on yeah. here. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. So, um, it's, it's, 
we've alluded to this uh, at various times you've been on the show. And, and again, I'm not going to hammer this home, but um, there, there's a class aspect, a classist, I guess you would call it. Ari, you mentioned that the other day aspect to this because um, as you, as you mentioned before, Nicole, um, uh, other people have those kinds of structures in their yards, uh, not exactly hoop houses, um, but uh, they are structures that are similar in size, and yet they're allowed to get away with it, and you're not. So, uh, Ari, perhaps you want to address that issue. Yeah, I'd absolutely like to. I, I think you touched on it. I think the right word is is classism, um, and, you know, it's kind of the, the, the pervading um, problem when it comes to freeing people and and securing the ability to grow your own food on your own property, um, especially in communities that are a little bit more well-to-do like Elmhurst. Um, there is, and it's funny that Nicole mentioned that somebody sent her something that explicitly mentioned Whole Foods because I've often said that the, the attitude in, in some of these neighborhoods and communities is like, oh yes, organic whole food is very important and you should go to Whole Foods to get it rather than growing it on your own property, you know, like the rest be a normal person and go to Whole Foods. Um, and that's what we, that's what we frequently have to fight against. And, and, you know, it's, it's folks who tend to live in those types of uh, communities and neighborhoods who, who fight back most vociferously against those who want to grow food on their own property mm-hmm. um, because of this association that for some reason they make in their minds between growing food and sort of a you know a, a cheap appearance on a property that you know uh, that's what poor people do is grow their own food and and you know rich people and and upper middle class folks go to Whole Foods and uh, you know that's just not kind of really the the uh, what a what a free society looks like and it's not what a uh, what a healthy and environmentally conscious society looks like either. Yeah, I have several remarks about that, and Peggy, you probably have a, a few yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what I will say is, everybody grows food now. Um, with we tell that that uh, you get your food at uh, Whole Foods. Tell that to the 20 million new gardeners who started in 2020 because they were terrified that they wouldn't have fresh food because of the pandemic. Now, obviously, we've gotten through a, a lot of that, but a lot of those people are going to continue to grow food in their backyard. Mm-hmm. I grow food in my backyard, and if you want to call me white trash, go for it, okay? Um, um, it's uh, That's one of the things uh, going on yeah, here. It's, it's, it's an arcane viewpoint. It's there people who are not, you know, it's like, it's, it's a preset notion. And yeah. Like, I think, how I do think, you get people past that? Yeah. I think you meant archaic viewpoint. Archaic. Yeah. Sorry. Archaic. That's yes, okay. Archaic. I couldn't, I couldn't get the oh, word opponent. You couldn't out, come so. up with opponent. Yeah. Opponent, so yes. there you go. Uh, it's catching. Careful, yeah. Nicole and Ari. <laughs> yeah, I know you don't want to get too close to me. Um, uh, by the way, this is the Mike Novak show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking Nicole Virgil from right to garden and Ari Bargill from Institute for justice. Uh, usually we break about this time. We're going to take a few more minutes before we break and bring in our next guest, because I want to get through all of this. Um, so, you say you hope if the bill is signed by the governor, and there's no indication, I assume, that the governor will not sign it, is there? No, we expect it to move forward in a positive fashion. Uh, I mean, because uh, if he doesn't, he's dead to me, okay? I'm just telling you. He's just, he, can, he can move on to another state or find something else to do because he's dead to me. Uh, I, no, I expect him to sign it as well. So you say you're going to put up a hoop house, but you've also told me, 
uh, off air uh, that the city of Helmhurst is still got their heels dug in and they're going to challenge that if you put it back up. How could they possibly challenge it since it has now been codified in Illinois state uh, legislation? Uh, well, I'm not sure the approach they would take, but there's currently an ordinance in the pipeline at the local level to uh, regulate seasonal membrane structures in such a way that would only allow for a very narrow usage. So you could use a, a, mem- a seasonal membrane structure, but only if you were going to uh, use it to provide, for example, shade and cover humans on wicker furniture with a grill You know, over the summer. That would be appropriate, but uh, to cover plants during the winter would not be allowed for. That is currently in the pipeline and um, it would be superseded by the state bill, but we're not sure if if the city will let it go or if they'll try to push it. So it sounds like the uh, city of Elmhurst, they want to go to court on this. It, uh, it sounds like they're just revving up their case. Um, Ari, what... What uh, would would uh, Nicole be protected in this case uh, by by the new law? I certainly think so, and and that was the understanding of of everybody who voted for it as well. I mean, we didn't cover all of the the committee meeting in in the clip that we watched before, which I hadn't seen since I was in that meeting, and it was just <laughs> as fantastic as I remember. But um, you know, there there were questions about that, and you know, I, I don't know if the if the city's uh, of Elmhurst position would be that a this bill doesn't say anything specific about hoop houses. And so we can continue to, um, to impair people's constitutional rights and now legislatively secured rights. Um, but if that's, if that's their stance, we'd have to deal with that later on to, to see exactly what their, the basis for that, that position is. But, you know, the whole point of the bill is not to secure any special privileges for anybody who wants to grow food, but rather to make sure that anybody who wants to grow food is treated the same way as anybody else who's growing something different uh, or who has a different type of structure. That's what the bill does. It basically says that the government can still regulate however it ordinarily would regulate, but it can't uh, you know, segregate out vegetable gardens or, or isolate vegetable gardens for any sort of different type of treatment um, that would otherwise apply to any other sort of garden. And so that's going to that's gonna be the issue with hoop houses. If you can have one structure for one reason, then the bill would secure your right to have an, uh, the same structure for a different reason. So Ari, are you prepared to jump back in if uh, city of Elmhurst starts uh, messing with uh, Nicole? No options are off the table, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, and by the way, you guys posted this uh, early, uh, this year, uh, what the bill will and will not do. Uh, the bill will prevent municipalities from banning vegetable gardens. It will protect the right to grow vegetables, including herbs, fruit, flowers, pollinator plants, or other edible plants, require municipalities to regulate gardening structures equally to other legal structures. And I think that's where you have your uh, your strongest point there, Nicole. But it will not prevent municipalities from enforcing ordinances related to height, Setback. I mean, this was the argument in that committee hearing that we did the rest of it that we didn't see. They were saying, well, what about the uh, height setback, water use, fertilizer use? You're going to control all that. They're all they're all saying, oh, you're taking away uh, home rule uh, from from all of these municipalities. And it's just not true, is it, Ari? No, it's not true at all. Uh, it was kind of a trumped up argument that they had to make in order to, I guess, you know, uh, 
advocate for their constituents, but I think the reason why the bill passed is that in the text of the bill itself, we expressly say, here are all the powers that the government still retains. The only thing that you cannot do going forward is treat vegetable gardens differently than you would treat any other sort of garden. And so if you're gonna have uh, uh, a limitation on how high a a plant can be because you wanna make sure first responders can see house numbers or something like that, that's fine as long as it applies evenly to all different types of vegetation, edible and not edible, ornamental yeah. and otherwise. And that's, that's all we're securing is just equal rights for vegetables. Right. And I look at, I look at, uh, whoops. That's a t-shirt. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I look at um, uh, what, what the city of Elmhurst might be planning to do. And um, it, it, it smacks really of what Republicans all over the country are doing. And I'm not saying they're all Republicans, but maybe they are um, w- regarding voting rights, which is, oh, uh, these people won. We're going to move the goalposts a little bit here so that uh, we can get what we want uh, rather than be fair to everybody. And that sounds like what is happening in the city of Elmhurst right now. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Have I, have, I, you know, I, there is one thing I had, I have this thing in my head. Um, we need, a, we need a song for this. We need a, you know, a, like a, the, the, a movement song, you know, and it starts something like, here's the story of the Virgil family who were trying to grow some veggies in their yard. And I don't know where it goes from there, but, uh, the, <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, have I missed anything give, here? If pants has been thrown around uh, as well. What what has been Ari? Give peas a chance. Ah, all we envision are saying. Envision world peas, yeah. Yeah, envision yeah. world peas, right? And okay, <laughs> but you got to grow them at the right time of the year. Um, so let us suppose. But um, but oh, see now, see, I, I I don't think I have the rim shot available here uh, to, to <laughs> do that. Okay, right. <laughs> Uh, anything else here before we let you guys go? Thanks for having us. Uh, well, I'm well, just so you. thrilled that uh, we were able to have this interview. It's such an important issue. Uh, congratulations on the win, the victory mm-hmm. in uh, in the uh, Illinois General Assembly. I'm hoping it works out. Uh, and and uh, something else is that this is the second state in the union to do something like this after Florida, oddly enough. Um, and Ari, you've uh, mentioned that you, you see this possibly uh, spreading to other states. Well, I certainly like to see that happen. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of work, having been involved in both of those efforts. Um, you know, it does take a tremendous amount of work, oddly enough. This, this shouldn't be that hard, but nevertheless, it is. Uh, but it, it would it's be vegetables. something that I'd like to see. Yeah, it would be something that I'd like to see gain some momentum. Um, and hopefully, rather than, you know, uh, pe- hopefully people will become aware of it and, and legislators will take it up as their own cause uh, instead of folks like uh, Nicole or I having to head into state capitals and saying, hey, here's a good thing that you shouldn't have to do, but do need to do. Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be a great thing if we could say, yeah, it's okay to grow vegetables in your own backyard. I mean, wh- what... What have we come down to here? Yard. Or front yard. Well, see, yeah, in the front well, yard's a whole nother thing, isn't it? Yeah. What I, what I most look forward to, actually, is a time where this type of legislation just isn't necessary because we all have an understanding of what our rights are in a free society, uh, and, and we won't have to create legislation uh, to reaffirm what ought to be something that we all already know, which is that uh, this is America and you can grow your own food. 
We'll leave it at that. I, I was going to say something about, you know, it's getting harder and harder to understand what your rights are in a free society in this country. But um, thank you for your work, Ari Bargill from the Institute for Justice. Nicole Virgil, you're going to be back. I know you're going to be back on the show. Something else is going to happen here, and we're going to have to bring you back. So uh, just uh, gird your loins and prepare for, for, whatever, for the next step. Or... Or the next time she's on, we're looking at all the beautiful raised beds in her yard. That's right. We're doing a tour of the yard, and and that's what I'm hoping. Okay. Uh, Nicole and Ari, thank you so much. You guys have uh, a a great Sunday, and um, congratulations. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, When we come back, uh, right in line with this topic, we're talking compost. Okay? So you might want to stick around. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we'll be right back. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. 70% of the earth is covered with water, but only 2.5% of that water can be used. On average, every household uses 350 gallons of water per day. The demand for fresh water is increasing by 64 billion cubic meters a year. Annually, the average household uses 127,400 gallons of water per year. 782,250 billions of liters of water have been consumed this year alone, and this number continues to grow. Help the environment conserve water. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Today's world moves at dizzying speeds. We're used to getting food when we want it and how we want it. But at Sitka Salmon Shares, we think waiting can be a good thing. That's because we're a community-supported fishery. We wait for our smallboat fishermen to catch our fish using low-impact gear before we blast-freeze it and ship it directly to you. Just like the fruits and veggies at your farmer's market or local CSA, wild-caught fish are harvested seasonally, which ensures the best taste. Sadly, the industrial seafood supply chain often takes fish around the world before it lands on your plate. And most fish from grocery stores and internet seafood providers can be frozen for well over a year. That fish waits for you instead of you waiting for it. It certainly doesn't taste as good. And that's a fact. It's also not as good for our planet. That's why we wait. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And I want to, first of all, thank our next guests who you can see in the bottom of the screen, left and right, uh, Benjamin Crumstock, uh, who is with Composting Partners. 
and um, Mike Dumucci with Garden Prairie Organics. Uh, thank you. You guys adjusted your schedule so we could get Nicole and Ari on at the beginning of the show. Uh, we're going to talk a while. We'll break at uh, 10 o'clock, but then we're going to come back in the 10 o'clock hour to finish our conversation because you can never say enough about compost, right? I agree. That's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, <laughs> um, let's start with uh, Benjamin because, um, uh, well, and of course, we're, we're promoting International Compost Awareness Week, which starts today and runs through the 8th. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Benjamin... Through the 7th. Uh, no, it actually runs through the through the eighth. The uh, the uh, the the local version runs the third through the seventh. Seventh, okay, the local one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and we're going to talk about the the local. And then the party continues another day. Well, the composting continues uh, forever. I mean that that is the uh, the the whole idea. Uh, uh, Benjamin, tell us about uh, the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. You're a board member there. Uh, you also have. Uh, your own company. Um, uh, tell us about your involvement in composting. Well, let's start about the uh, Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. Uh, you know, the core mission is to divert the food scraps from the landfill. Uh, it's a huge mm-hmm. problem. It's a huge amount of material that goes to landfill. It's got a, a tremendous, tremendous environmental effect. Uh, we have a great team on the front end working with folks to divert the food scraps, uh, teaching people how to do that, teaching them best practices from their perspective. Uh, the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition knows that the the principal means of diversion is to send stuff off to composting. So my involvement is heavily on the other side in, in terms of getting people to understand composts. Uh, how do you use it? Why would you use it? Uh, and interacting with the composters themselves, guys like Mike, uh, to help connect the, the diverters with the realities of, of what does it look like at a composting site, a commercial composting site? What are the challenges? What can we do on the front end as we divert the food scraps, uh, as we divert all organics, our, our landscape mm-hmm. waste, to make the, the operation at their site better, possible, you know, to, to do things safer, cleaner, and then ultimately to turn out a better product that, that you want to incorporate into your soil. So that's the group. It's a great multi-stakeholder organization. And uh, this ICAW, uh, International Compost Awareness Week, that comes from the the U.S. Composting Council, from their uh, Compost Research and Education Foundation, the foundation side. Uh, We at IFSC have been excited to organize this event. We've got a great lineup. It's going to be a a daily lunch and learn Monday through Friday, free to everybody. If you go to IllinoisCompost.org. That'll have all the the registration information. An amazing lineup teaching you everything from how do you how do you divert to how do you use the compost. Yeah, uh, we're going to go through uh, those the various days and the speakers you have. Uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get that information out. But uh, all the links, by the way, uh, for this are at my website, MikeNovak.net. Go to the blog, and uh, and you'll see everything you need to know, including how to register for mm-hmm. the International Compost Awareness Week and for the virtual lunch and learn programs. That's what they're calling them. They're each day from May 3rd to 7th, so starting tomorrow and through the 7th, uh, which is Friday, you will be having uh, these uh, these seminars uh, and just um, amazing people you've got there, just 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 great people. Uh, 
And, and I wanted to mention the theme, too, the grow, eat, compost, repeat. Right. Grow, eat, compost, repeat. Um, and there are a couple of different areas here. When you talk about compost, the average gardener, if they're composting, it's all very personal and it's very local, um, which is to say they put stuff into their compost pile and they bring it out and they put it in their yard, in their garden. Um, end of story, closed loop. Um, but unless they have a lot of yard waste and then it, the loop is not so closed. And that brings in uh, a guy like Mike Demucci because you run a uh, professional uh, composting operation, uh, a commercial composting operation. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. By the way, love the art behind you oh, there. I uh, can't take credit for that at all. That, uh, <laughs> I just hang them. They just tell me where to put them. So, uh, good morning, everybody. Now, uh, we're with Garden Prairie Organics. We're an IEPA certified uh, landscape waste compost facility, and believe it or not, Garden Prairie. Um, so we. Uh, no, you're kidding me. We are. Which, which no, is out past? I know, very original, right? Yeah. That's out towards Rockford, right? Yeah, we're between uh, Marengo and Belvedere. Uh, so, and then Rockford's the next town west. Um, so we're the guys that take and, and receive the, uh, the yard waste uh, from the haulers and from landscapers and your curbside stuff that you put out in your toters or your brown paper bags uh, that you get at the hardware store, the big box stores. Uh, that's the material that we primarily receive uh, at our facility. And then we process that, grind it up, put it out in windrows, uh, turn it over, uh, take nature's process and and uh, speed it up by about a thousand percent, and uh, produce high premium quality compost for the public. Uh, you started this in two thousand nine. Why does somebody get into the composting business? That's a great question. Uh, I don't know. We we uh, we have a wholesale nursery also. And did the um, did the nursery come first? Nursery came first, and. Uh, we had the nursery and felt that uh, the composting was a, a good synergy for that with landscapers coming in to pick up trees. They could, you know, grab, uh, bring the, uh, bring compost back out with them, uh, bring the yard waste in. And it, uh, it was a little bit of a twofold of, there was a need for it in our area uh, out there and, and, uh, and to, you know, help the general public with just more uh, diversion out of the landfill. Okay. Well, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's composting is fascinating. Um, I think a lot of people would think uh, not so much. Uh, kind of depends who you, oh, oh, now see, now why did those guys pop up? Okay. Let's go back to, uh, <laughs> wait a you, second. No, Deja vu. I, yeah, I know. No, we want these guys here. And there, it, we, are. there we go. I'll have to go check that uh, thing there. Uh, um, but um, when, it's 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 interesting. Um, I do you think Benjamin that and I, and you're a youngster. Hey, Mike, I, you, you blipped a little bit there. You froze okay. slightly. Could you repeat? Um, you're you're kind of a youngster, Benjamin. Uh, when I was starting uh, to learn, and and I and my getting into the gardening world was sort of a mid course correction in my own life. But when I started, it was almost as if compost was an afterthought. It's like. Okay, we got NPK, and you can fertilize, and you can. Here's these uh, amazing ways that you can grow. The science is all behind it, 
but it seemed like the fringe people were the ones, oh, and by the way, there's this thing called compost that you can use. Uh, but as as you study these things and get more and more into it, you realize compost is the deal. It's the real deal. Uh, do you think there's a, a swing towards that? I think that's our job. I think that unfortunately, when people think of compost, if they think of compost, they're actually more likely to misunderstand and think of mulch and they're completely different products. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it's our job to teach people it's an amazing product and it's a real product. So yeah, the science of it is fascinating. The, the science of composting is fascinating, but more importantly, it's the science of, of soil science. It's how you use it and the magic and how you can restore natural cycles that we, we've disrupted. I mean, it, it, it's not new science that we're creating. It's not new practice we're creating. We're asking people to let the, the microbiome do the job of, of feeding the plants. Let the microbiome do the job of, of keeping the, the pests in check or what we consider to be pests in check. Um, not using these chemical fertilizers, not using these chem- uh, chemical herbicides and pesticides. It, it's it's a natural process that that predates uh, you know our contemporary and we just need to restore it so it's it's magical stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just and I think I've I, I think I've got my uh, my macros here fixed so uh, we won't uh, be putting the wrong people up on the screen anymore. Uh, you know what we should do is uh, walk through some of the steps because. Um, um, I think people will be really interested if you're out in your yard and, and by the way, um, something we talked about the other day, there's a law in Illinois, which is about 30 years old, 31 years old now, uh, that, um, 25, uh, well, the, by law, you're supposed to put yard waste into composting facilities and not into landfills. Right, Benjamin? Mm-hmm. And, sure. and, and Mike, you know that as well. Um, the city of Chicago pretty much ignores that. So when you're dealing with composting efforts, especially municipalities that pick up, and there's a huge list of them out there. I'm, I was kind of stunned by how many municipalities are doing the right thing, uh, except for the city of Chicago. Um, and uh, so when you're in your yard and you're cleaning yard waste and, and putting stuff together, we're going to show you some of the stuff that happens when it gets to a guy like Mike. Mike DiMucci, um, and maybe even before the end of uh, our, uh, our our visit here, uh, we we can even talk a little bit about some of the basics of composting for homeowners who want to do that. I mean, I do it out in my yard, and I do basically cold composting, which is it doesn't heat up. You put it in the bin. I've got a sealed bin because in the city you've got to have a sealed bin. In a lot of municipalities, they want a sealed bin too so that vermin and other critters can't get in there. Um, and it, uh, it and just, I've got a bin in my yard. Yeah, and and I don't. I know it does. It's it's not big enough. It's not going to get heated, and I don't turn it all the time. But it it decomposes. I mean, you know, it sinks, and and you know when it's sinking, everything's decomposing, and it's turning into uh, black gold. The the soil. So, um, I want to pop up here. Let me get to, yeah. Let's get to this uh, to to start. Before we break here, uh, tell me uh, about this uh, label, uh, Benjamin. So this is our We Compost program uh, run out of the IFSC free program. Uh, what we, what we want to do is we want to recognize people who are doing the right thing. 
if you are a restaurant and you're diverting your food scraps, get in touch with us. Uh, we will be happy to, to come out and put this, uh, the, this certification on your window, get, a, get you a decal. Um, if you're an institution that's diverting, we, we recognize those. And whether you're di mm -hmm. diverting the food scraps to a commercial hauler or whether you're actually composting on site, the program is, is going to recognize you for your, for your efforts on the, on the part of the planet, essentially. Uh, free program. And if you're interested in supporting a restaurant that's making the, the commitment, taking the steps, and they're not just, just automatic steps, but they're taking the steps to send their food scrap for composting, you can go to the IFSC website, go to the We Compost site, pull up a map and see which, which restaurants are in your neighborhood. So come on down, support those people. Let them, let them know that you're choosing them because they are acting responsibly. Uh, and, um, and, and let me pop something else here. Uh, this is a, I, I, I saw this photo that you sent me, Benjamin, and I thought, holy smoke, that all looks edible. That all looks like you, you could have lunch uh, with that. Um, where was this photo taken and what are we, what are we looking at? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a I, I can't not tell you the exact location of this. This was something that was shared through a webinar and I asked the presenter if I could use it. Uh, it is a commercial site. Um, you say it's edible, and, and there's a great truth to that. You know, these melons that are in there look like they could have been but could have been edible. You know, maybe they were post life cycle. Maybe there was some issue, uh, but maybe they were taken off of a shelf in a in a grocery store because they had some blemish, and uh, or they were taken off of a farm because they had a blemish. Uh, there's any number of reasons that people will divert quality food. And I will tell you that we have a sister organization called the, the Wasted Food Action Alliance. And the goal is to keep this stuff out of the, out of the waste stream, quite frankly. Get it to people, feed people who need it. Um, imperfect uh, vegetables are just that. They don't have to look beautiful on the shelf. They're nutritious and there are, there are campaigns mm -hmm. to, to try and get that out. So, yeah, this is a, a very dramatic experience or dramatic image. Uh, most of the food that's getting out to the compost facilities is mixed with other organics so just by virtue of transfer station uh, practices. So it's not quite as dramatic as this usually. Well, and speaking of dramatic, yeah. speaking of dramatic, that's dramatic. Okay, that yeah. that is like terrifying. That how <laughs> how many stories high is that truck? That's a that's a huge truck. Was that filled wow. with with the compostable material? Exactly. So this is a, a trailer that's coming from a that came from a, uh, a, a transfer station in Chicago uh, and was taken out to a composting facility. This is, would be a, a load that's mixed with landscape waste and whatever food scraps or other organics were collected by the by the different haulers, taken to a transfer station and then trucked out to the compost facility. Uh, one more thing before we break, uh, you you don't again. You don't see those in Chicago, uh, but th this is something you s you'll see in municipalities around the area. Uh, and I love that yard waste only, yard waste only. So yeah. mine when, says organics only. Well, and and that's a question I want to get into when we come back from the break, which is what's the difference between organics and and you say to people, hey, put some organic matter on your garden or on your lawn, and their heads explode. Uh, what's what's organic matter? Um, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Benjamin, uh, 
people get confused between compost and mulch, although compost can be a mulch. Uh, right. So it, it, it can be a little bit confusing, but it's pretty clear here. And what we're going to show you um, when we come back from the break is that people don't always pay attention to that sign, yard waste mm-hmm. only. And, um, and not only do they, they put things in, uh, like food scraps, which is not acceptable in that bin, but other things. Um, and um, we have some amazing photographs <laughs> to show you uh, when we come back. We're talking to. We're not talking greasy pizza boxes either. No, we're not. And I have a rule of thumb. I have come up with a rule of thumb. I know you guys have too. You've got, we've got several r- rules uh, of thumb here um, about, I mean, we talked about grow, eat, compost, repeat. Uh, when in doubt, throw it out is another one, and we'll explain what that means. Um, but I have my own. Um, uh, so uh, we're talking to Benjamin Crumstock and Mike DiMucci. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. You know, summertime can mean a lot of fun for us, especially if we have access to swimming pools air conditioning, or ice-cold drinks. But for others, it could be a real struggle, especially if you can't take shelter or go get a glass of water because you're, well, rooted. Lack of moisture is the most common cause of stress in a landscape, one that is particularly difficult on trees that are very young or very old. It could take months or even years for a tree to fully recover from drought conditions, and that's if it recovers at all. If the leaves or needles on your tree are wilting, discolored, or perhaps even falling off, they could be affected by drought conditions. If this stress is allowed to persist, this tree could be attacked by boring insects or even fall prey to stem and root disease. Sounds awful, right? But what can be done? I mean, you can't control the weather. Not to worry, because we can provide your trees with some much needed relief. We can give you guidance on mulching and irrigation. We can monitor your tree for boring insects, bark beetles, diseases, and other common problems that typically impact stressed trees. And upon the return of favorable conditions, fertilizing and pruning can go a long way to help your trees rebound and endure drought conditions. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I And welcome back 
to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and I'm glad to see, uh, Mike, you were smiling at that. You like the song, huh? Yeah, yeah between that and, and yeah, it's funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I, I just love it when people are, are, are smiling at the, at the things we do. And by the way, uh, uh, we're talking compost here. We've gotten some um, some messages in that you should know about. Uh, Sarah Batka, our friend Sarah Batka from uh, Illinois, Illinois Extension, uh, says, uh, if you're able to mention it in the compost segment, our next community compost collections are May 22nd in Maywood and June 26th in Park Forest and then July 24th in Homewood. Uh, so uh, May 22nd, June 26th, July 24th. Um, the first is in Maywood, second is in Park Force, and the, the third is in Homewood. Peggy, did you? if you saw that, can you put um, that link up there? It's uh, go.illinois.edu slash compost May 22nd, but nobody will remember that. Um, and... Um, our friend uh, Amy Bartucci, I'm sure you guys know, um, is uh, said, um, we don't have Park Ridge businesses on the We Compost list yet, exclamation mark. So uh, we're uh, working, she's working on and that. Amy's with Go Green Park Ridge. Uh, so Amy, just, you know. Take them into an in alley and, and pummel them next to a, a composting bin and say, hey, you got to do this, all right? Um, so welcome back to the show. We are, we're talking compost. I want to get into some of the the uh, rules and regs about what people should be doing and, and what they should not be doing. But I want to show some more photos uh, before we do that because some of these are just um, are just really fascinating. And I got a bunch that Mike sent me. Um, and, you know, you're doing this every day uh, out at your operation, uh, Garden Prairie Organics. And we talk about yard waste. And a lot of time people put yard waste into paper bags. Let me show you an example of what some of these paper bags uh, look like, like that, okay? Um, uh, Mike, do you want to explain what we're looking at here? That's uh, that's just uh, sometimes coming in on the hauler trucks, which is the material that is picked up by the curbside uh, garbage companies. And we got some yard waste in there in the brown paper bags, and then we got a nice chunk of carpet, uh, <laughs> some regular garbage in that black paper or black uh, hefty bag, and uh, some objects that we got to go through and get out before we send it through our grinder. Um, we get out as much as we can. Sometimes that stuff is buried. Uh, when we get in a big truck, like what Benjamin or what you showed before, we don't take, we don't have a tipper, uh, but material still comes in 54 foot long trucks that, uh, pump off and, you know, when it's 60, 70 yards in a load, uh, it is very difficult to try to find yeah. all the contaminants. Yeah. That's... Um, we're lucky enough to. Go out, but there's some little things that come in that, that uh, you know, uh, little thing, you know, whatever, whatever big, big, big uh, small package, uh, big effect type thing. And so when we get, you can't see like a uh, sledgehammer head or something along those lines that's just solid metal, and mm -hmm. that goes through our grinder that's running at 3,000 RPM. 
Yikes. Uh, metal on metal does not do well. Yeah, yikes is right. The noise, sound, structure it makes is I, I, it's I, pretty I, catastrophic. I'll, I'll bet you've gotten to the point, um, Mike, where you hear that sound and you go, oh, no. What did we what did we hit? Yeah, no, now? So it's, yeah. What's in there now? It, it's yeah. an uh, it's an emergency stop. And uh, we stopped doing the I, I had in my office for a while, like a uh, just a shelf or actually it became a cabinet of uh, shelves of, uh, you know, the greatest hits. And uh, <laughs> we finally, literally. Finally, it was too depressing to look at. Yeah, literally. And yeah. so we I threw it out or recycled it to the. Uh, to an iron mill because I just was sick of looking at it. Um, here's, um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, every time, yeah, I mean, this is this is another I would, one. I mean, there's beer cans in there, there's garbage, there's pop cans, there's, you know, I always find it company. funny that there's plenty of toys, plenty of dogs, plenty of flip-flops, never a pair, uh, plenty of balls, <laughs> and the amount of, you know, uh, fertilizer, Compost bags, dirt bags. Uh, ooh, ooh, that's a really good point. Yeah. It's like so people they they got this bag of fertilizer in their garage and it's been sitting there for ten years and they figure oh it's probably not good anymore. I know I'll just toss it into the organic waste because it's not going to hurt anything, right? Well, I mean it's not even like whole bags of fertilizer. It's just people out doing their yard waste or doing their yard. Uh, either gardening or just simply maintenance, and they get done with that that flat of, of uh, annuals that they're going to plant, and that flat goes right in. Uh, that's straight plastic, you know. Yeah, uh, well, that should have gone in the other bin. Dead right. yard waste Where's the easiest spot? You know, um, you know up. Uh, water bottles and pop bottles and everything along the line. And I got to be honest, I was guilty of that 15 years ago when I used to do my lawn or whatever. And then started getting composting. We went to a couple of compost sites. We visited a fair amount. Um, mm-hmm. One up in, uh, in Wakanda area that was uh, us Midwest organics. And I saw, you know, one day when we were out and he's like, this is the stuff that we deal with daily. And I just said, I go, I apologize. I am guilty of taking that pop bottle or that water bottle and throwing it in my, my brown paper bag. Cause what's the difference? You know, uh, it's just one bottle. Yeah. Uh, and whatever, I mean, it was an overnight or an over minute change for me of like, wow, the amount of, you know, that one little 16 ounce water bottle turns into a thousand pieces. Well, and the other um, thing is, uh, you yeah. know, even people who, who don't throw in plastic water bottles uh, will throw in, I mean, the previous shot, we had film plastic in there, and pe- a lot of people yeah. put well, plastic. Well, this one's got it, too, it looks like. Yeah, it looks like uh, there is some film plastic there. Here's the one that, uh, this one is amazing. Oh, yeah, you know what? We'll just throw in some hose. Uh, that can't, you know, the garden Some hose hydraulic can't... hose, yeah. Oh, is that hydraulic hose? Okay. No, it's hydraulic hose. Yeah, that's a hydraulic hose. That uh, that'll happen when, um, and I'm not calling them out or anything, but sometimes their hauler trucks they get their maintenance done at night. Uh, mm-hmm. The mechanic will just go the back of the truck because, well, it's a garbage truck, but he's doing it to be uh, to to you know try to screw up my facility. 
he doesn't know where that truck's going. He thinks that truck is just going on a garbage ride. So, so you're saying uh, that the, the garbage trucks do double double duty. So one day they might be hauling yep. garbage, and the next day they're hauling mm-hmm. compost. And if there's garbage that gets left behind, that ends up at your facility. Yeah, and it may be the same day. Uh, or sometimes guys run late, and they don't get out to the landfill. And then the next day that truck goes out for for uh, you know yard waste first thing in the morning. And, and it, it, there's mistakes that happen, and everyone's okay. You know, we're not okay with it, yeah. but it's just kind of business that we got to work through. Um, so, like this is that's kind of an honest mistake, but it's still it's still an issue. And if we don't find that, you know, that gets wrapped up uh, in our mill, um, or worse, uh, if it can get spit out, it's fine. If it gets- but you know, people people put garden hoses. I know this is a different kind of a, a, oh, yeah. a wire, but people put garden hoses yeah. in there. But they also put them in their recycling bins, right? And they think that people, or they think they hoses and get, toys and tools and yeah. And hoses, uh, there yeah. they have all kinds of different things involved. There's the mesh in there, so it's not just plastic, folks. There's there's a lot going on with a hose, and you can't recycle a hose. Landscape netting is another one that's just absolutely brutal. Oh um, yeah, and that's we get that yeah. that mostly from more of the the landscape professional we do from the homeowners, but that landscape netting is awful, and it just it gets through the whole pile. Yeah, uh, and then again that gets into the to the mills, and we got hundreds of bearings all over our, our machines, and that stuff wraps in there and cooks bearings. Um, basically, bearing gets too hot. Uh, that's running a a uh, a roller of some kind, and they. They get too hot and they break, and then, then we're down Shuts and we got we got repairs to make. Yeah. All right. Look at this one. It's amazing. Hey. One little piece. And yeah, that's not. That's not. Um, that's uh, that's fencing. That's uh, that's some womanized lumber that's got creosote in it. Um, mm-hmm. And we really can't see it in there, but there's a fair amount of metal and and. Um, yeah, nails and. Yeah, but but not only nails, that, but yeah. but 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 folks are going to say, "Hey, it's organic matter. It's wood. It's wood. Uh, why can't I recycle? Yeah. It? Why can't I throw this in the compost pile? And why can't they throw it in the compost pile, uh, Mike? Because it's already cured. It's cooked. It's it's dead. It's not wood anymore. It's it's a piece of building material. I mean, I, yes, it is, but it's not natural wood. So I mean, any living organism that's in there is already dead. I mean, even a dead tree has organisms are going to help break it down the natural microorganisms of compost you need a you know probably 10 times the amount of organic matter to hopefully break this stuff it's, it's already cured it's through, through yeah not much different cycle. than plastic. that's why we use it exactly that's why we use it for building material right because it doesn't break down all right and here's uh, the whole point of using two yeah force. yeah so don't do that here's my favorite photo um Holy smoke! <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that, that was a uh, that was that was last year during COVID. Seen so much garbage come in uh, in the middle of COVID. Uh, everyone on their cleanouts and what have you. And I don't know. I mean, it rolls downhill. So it's yeah. full at once. And, so- and, and yeah, yeah, we had a hard. We had a lot. Of, we had a hard time last year with that. And oh I really? Just wonder so, how what, much of God. I was just going to say, why is this so? Why was this so bad during COVID? Do you think? I think just more more people were home. And this is my guess. Is you know, kind of with everything else. I mean, you said it's, uh, 
segment, 20 million new gardeners. Uh, there's that, you know, how many thousands of people were home more than they should be, you know, because they were working from home and they started their well, I got or what have you. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and, and I wonder how much of that is, you know, in a, a municipality that say there's three bins at a home your garbage, your recycling, mm-hmm. and your organics, that people aren't even paying attention. They just open a bin, throw it in. Somebody walking by opens a bin. Yeah, I mean, you know, the recycling it's bin usually purposeful. has a yellow cover on it. No, I mean, it's not being, they're not being malicious and in, in, mm-hmm. in, in not having, paying attention. It's just, it's, it comes back to be not paying attention. It's an education thing. And, and um, you know, that's kind of what me and Benjamin were talking about and kind of came out with that PSA earlier this year of, you know, it kind of it comes off as an angry composter, but it just kind of like it's you know enough's enough. <laughs> no, 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 no. Gotta, See, if in doubt, throw it out. This yeah. is this like is that's yeah. this show. Yeah, I, I mean, if it grows, I mean, it's pretty simple, right? I mean, the, you showed the the, uh, uh, the the bin that says yard waste only um, or organics only, and then you know, and I wish I could be the copywriter of it, but I mean, if it grows, it goes. It's pretty simple. I don't understand. You know, uh, it's mind boggling why we can't get to that point. I, I love that. If it grows, it goes. And by the way, you've now giving, given me the uh, latest working title of my autobiography, The Angry Composter. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, check me out on right. Instagram. Uh, but, yeah. but, but, but getting back to that photo that we just had that big pile with all the stuff. And when I saw that, I went, okay, here's the rule of thumb. If you're going to throw stuff into a compost pile, if it's blue, don't throw it in there. There's nothing blue in nature that is going to look like that kind of blue that, you know, it's, it's the same thing with a plastic bottle you would think, but my feeling is it's just a little rule of thumb. If it's blue or like bright red or pink, it's probably not going to go into a compost pile. Um, Or a recycle pile probably. um, Yeah. Well, and the other thing, the other rule of thumb is, okay, if you wouldn't put this in your own compost pile, why are you putting in in the paper bag that you're sending to a, a commercial operation? I mean, no nobody in their right mind is going to throw a plastic bottle into their own compost pile. So use you well, should. That's, that's thinking that everyone's composting in their backyard, right? Well, so but there a are a lot of it is yeah. you know a lot of it's just convenience, and so it's it's well. I got the bin here and what's the difference? It's just going to kind of go away. And as long as it gets away from me and, th- and this is whatever, this is the angry side is whatever it gets <laughs> away from me. It's done. Then I don't have to think about yeah. it, you know, just yeah. roll it down the hill. Um, yeah. Or the, and oh, so, well, they'll you know, just we, separate we got to do a better. Right. And, and a lot of people don't exactly know where it's going. Yard waste has mm-hmm. been around for 30 years. So it's, it's kind of, it's the old dog in the room that, you know, we love food waste now, and that's what we want to get out of the landfill. And I, I respect it and appreciate it, and, and I think there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to get the basis down first. And, and quite honestly, if you look at the uh, recycling triangle, like the food triangle, if you look at the recycling triangle of food, composting is one tier above uh, landfill for food waste. And so, you know, yeah, like the the... The, the picture we saw there with the food, you know, a lot of that stuff, and I know there's companies out there doing it and commend them for it is, you know, um, 
you know, it's kind of, you know, ugly well, food or what have you, um, yeah. or the stuff, you know, going into, going into animal feed or what have you, where, yeah, it should get out of landfill, but it just doesn't always have to get to the composter. Um, and so that's where, uh, I know we had this discussion, Mike, about, you know, why I'm not taking food waste, but I mean, well, uh, and see that the was pictures my, there. That was my next question is about yeah. why, um, and, uh, and, uh, even, uh, uh, Benjamin, you know, that, uh, there are a number of facilities in the area that don't take food waste and, and, and why is that? Well, you want me to answer you or want Mike to answer? Well, either way, I'll tell you what, uh, Mike's been speaking a long time. I thought I would <laughs> bring, Sorry. bring you, okay. no, no, that's no, no, okay. No, no. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to answer it. So, so, you know, we've been talking a lot about contamination here and, and that's, that's the biggest of the issues. Um, it's true. The minority of IEPA permitted facilities in Illinois will accept the food scraps and they have the contamination issue to contend with. And you see that in those dramatic images, uh, food scraps are a particularly, uh, contaminated load so that even those compostable plastic products, the ones that are uh, certified by BPI, the biodegradable products Institute, those, uh, those are lab criteria that BPI uses. Uh, that, that are allowing us to, to certify them as organic, uh, or I'm sorry, as compostable. But those products are not acceptable in an organic, uh, tr capital O organic certified compost. So a guy like Mike has to make the, the financial decision. How do I market this compost? Uh, what is the cost upfront of having to remove those contaminants because they are contaminants, unfortunately. Uh, on the front end, if I want to have a certified organic product. So if, if they're struggling to, to move the product in the first place, taking on the extra burden of, of the food scrap is a challenge for them. What we need to do and what we're working hard to do at IFSC and, and, and me in my own right is to get people to, to understand the value of compost. If they can, if they can unload all of their product from each composting facility that's doing a good job of it and they need more organics, well then, then the, the metrics flip and there's an incentive to take food scraps. So we're trying to push to that kind of an opportunity. Yeah, it seems to me we, we, we need to know or figure out a way to deal with our food scraps just as we need, uh, and we've talked on this show, we talked last week a little bit. I, I know you guys watched some of the, the video of uh, our conversation with Dan Dinelli at North Shore Country Club and how he's using uh, compost and uh, biosolids. We have mm -hmm. to figure out what to do with biosolids as well in uh, uh, our food scraps. So we're going to be awash in all of that. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll make one other point here, and that's that you sure. know you, you talk about you, you, don't be discouraged. The people who are interested in diverting or haven't thought of diverting their food scraps, keep doing it. The haulers are figuring out where to take this material and ultimately it'll be market forces that drive it. So if we have a large quantity of, of, of food scrap, the metrics again will shift and maybe making that investment on a screening process will make sense for more composters. So don't be discouraged by the challenge, rise to the challenge, keep diverting, increase the diversion. Mm -hmm. The haulers are figuring it out and now, you know, the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition is now the home of the Illinois chapter of the U.S. Composting Council. Working together, being a more forceful uh, advocacy voice for the composters, we're going to try to build some best management practices that get both parties to the table 
and come up with a process that's ideal. Um, and you mentioned um, earlier the plasticware that goes uh, into, um, which contaminates, as you say, a lot of the food scraps. Uh, I don't think a lot of folks understand that that plastic, even though it's uh, often is, they, they say it's biodegradable, um, it's only under certain circumstances. If you have enough heat and if you do it uh, commercially, if you throw a, a plastic biodegradable fork into your own compost pile at home in a year, you're going to still have a fork. Um, and um, this is, these are, and plates are, are similar products. All those products that, you and know, bags, the they're compostable not bags. Compass, comp- compostable bags. Well, biodegradable and, and compostable are not, are not synonymous with each other. They're, okay. They're two it, different. Explain the difference, Mike. Process. Uh, that's on the science side, and that's not really what I understand. But uh, mostly from what I understand or what have you is biodegradable just breaks down faster than, than a normal plastic bag will, right? If it goes into landfill, it will disappear in a few years over hundreds of years. Uh, compostable is mostly made with, with starches and, and, and more living you know, cornstarch or what have you. Uh, for those forks or for those compostable bags. Uh, but at the same respect, even on a commercial scale like ours, where we can get our material up to 155, 60 degrees, you need to keep it at that temperature for months at a time. And that just doesn't work. That doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. We get up, the temperature goes up, then it comes down, then we turn, and then it goes back up, and then it comes down. But you know, I'm not interested in keeping my windrow for 180 days as, as the lab wants me to, or lab says that it's good for. Uh, yeah, there's my there's my turner right there. Yeah. Um, and so that that machine will go through that that windrow, and and you know we're we're making compost in 90 days. You know, getting it out to the market in you know 120 days after it's been curing and, and screened. So for me to keep a windrow, you know, that's valuable real estate for 180 days. Uh, yeah, uh, at the end of November and into April, yeah, I'll have a windrow for 180 days. But during the season, I do not want a 180-day windrow. Um, okay. Get, get that out of there and get new material in there. So <clears throat> we're OMRI certified in you know Organic Material Review Institute for our material. We can't accept, cannot accept, you know, compostable flatware plastics, uh, because they can still consider it contaminant because it, it doesn't go away yet. All right. Well, let's it just, talk. Yeah, oh. it, it just gets, you know, like you said, it gets uglier, and but it's still kind of there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to get to the, uh, the event, uh, the International Compost Awareness Week and the virtual lunch and learn programs uh, that are starting tomorrow. Um, and Benjamin, you can talk about this tomorrow. You start, uh, and, and the themes of each day are grow, eat, compost, repeat, and then ask the experts. I like that. Um, you have uh, Teresa Johnson from the MWRD, the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District, uh, and Fred Daniels from Growing Home tomorrow. Um, uh, it's, you know, and just you're going to hear these great lineups. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. You were very excited about uh, having Growing Home. Yeah, I, I, I'm remarkably excited. I saw their, I previewed their video, and it's, it's amazing. If you like people, this is a story. If you like gardening, it's a story. It's an amazing, amazing organization, so jump on in. Uh, so, the, yeah, the theme for the week was set by the, the CREF, by the USCC, and we just ran with it. 
tomorrow, Teresa will teach you about composting, about compost. What is it? How does it happen? Uh, how might you use it? Show us some pictures of, of materials that are grown in compost as opposed to or, or side by side with products that are grown in just un, unamended soil. And it's a pretty dramatic result. Dan Danelli showed you that last week. Uh, Fred Daniels Growing Home. Uh, it's an Englewood urban farm and uh, they grow in a compost medium. Uh, you, you talk in the middle of the city with this amazing, amazing uh, garden. There's a job training component associated with it. Uh, we'll move on to Tuesday. People will, will have restaurants on board to, to show you how they divert and why they divert. Wednesday will be great because that cart picture you showed says yard waste only. It turns out that Illinois leads uh, as one of the leaders in the country in ride-along programs. So Peggy says it says organics only on her on her cart. We have more municipalities in Illinois than many other states that allow you to put your food scraps into those organics carts. Mm -hmm. And the routing is such that those materials will go to a composter who will accept food scraps. So uh, we'll learn more about the different pathways to divert your food scraps on, on Wednesday, Thursday, um, SAVER, an amazing organization that, that runs the culinary services at uh, McCormick Place, the McCormick Place campus. They uh, are really committed to food waste reduction and food rescue. They have green roofs on their roofs over at McCormick Place where they uh, partner with the Botanical Gardens to, to have job training, uh, green roofs growing food, and uh, then they, uh, Saver also sends their material for composting. And we'll learn about uh, how an operation works. Andy Klink from Midwest Organics Recycling is, is you know, essentially the, 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 the composter presentation. And Friday, a great lineup of experts from across the, the spectrum, from diversion to composting to compost use. Whatever questions you come up with during the week, we're, we're going to try to make sure we get through as much as we can on Friday, and we'll be answering the chat questions and other questions after the event. We'll be following up with people. And, and you it's have, all free. All free. Uh, which is always the, the great point. And the link is at my website, mikenovak.net. Go to the blog post. On Friday, I see you have uh, the United States Composting Council represented, but you also have Erlene Howard from Collective Resource Compost. Uh, and they're a wonderful sponsor uh, of our show. And uh, I'm so proud of them. I mean, been doing this for 10 years. They were sort of, they were, they were out there. They were among the first to, to just mm -hmm. get out there and start collecting uh, compost uh, from, uh, you know, in buckets, five-gallon buckets. And you can do it. And, folks, if you live in an apartment, if you live in a, um, in a place that where you can't have a composting operation in your backyard, a, a composting bin, uh, give Collective Resource a call. There are others out there now, too, since they started it. You have yeah. a whole bunch of uh, companies that are doing this. And list you can find the them website. on the website. The IFSC site has a listing of where you can find composters or, or collection companies. We also have a link to, to help you find the compost. So where are folks like Mike and the other companies that participate in IFSC, where can you find their, their medium? And uh, some of the outlets are surprising. You can go to certain grocery stores and, and find bag product. Uh, you mm -hmm. can go to nurseries and find quantities in bulk. 
so it's it's out there. You know, and that's a good point. Uh, the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition site is a great resource for all anything related to composting. And the and I've got the link on my page, but if you want to go there right now, it's Illinois Composts with a plural, IllinoisComposts.org. And uh, and as uh, Benjamin said, just just great information. Hey, listen, guys, we're out of time, but uh, thank you so much. This was really fascinating stuff, at least at least for me. I, uh, I'm not putting any plastics in my uh, composting, and and I hope folks who are, are doing yard waste cleanup uh, now think twice mm-hmm. about don't th- if it doesn't grow, don't throw it in there. What's what's the slogan? That's right. If it grows, it goes. Right. Otherwise. Get rid of it. Put it out. Uh, when in doubt, if throw it, it out. If it's into the yard, don't put it in the And if, uh, if it's blue, don't put it in there, okay? If it crinkles, if it crinkles too, it probably shouldn't go. It's probably questionable. And then it <laughs> there probably, you go. You know, it's like use your, you use your eyes, use your ears, and, and do it right. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Um, and the, uh, the uh, event starts today, folks. This is uh, International Compost Awareness Week. And I've got the link to that. And uh, take part in it if you can. Uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank Thanks, you very guys. Much. Have a great day. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, our pleasure. Uh, me- meteorologist Rick DeMaio coming up next. From small boat fishermen to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery, Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaska seafood to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild-caught in season with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line-caught and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code NOVAK25 for $25 off the first month of a share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com slash N-O-W-A-K. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. You know, deer are a common problem in many landscapes, and they can have a devastating effect. They forage and browse on a wide range of trees and shrubs, and you know, they can eat up to six pounds of plant material each day. Well, the result, those flowers that you've been waiting so patiently for can be gone in a matter of one single day. And once the deer have established themselves in your landscape, you can look forward to lush green hedges being defoliated right down to the sticks, buck rubbing the bark off of trees with their antlers, And worst of all, ticks. More deer in your landscape mean more ticks that carry Lyme disease and other viruses. Unfortunately, deer adapt to home remedies pretty quickly. And deer fencing can be effective, but it can also take away from the visual appeal of your landscape. The most practical approach to deer management is a repellent program, customized to the amount of deer pressure you're experiencing, the time of year, and your personal preferences. Bartlett Tree Experts uses several different products, all tested at the grounds of our research laboratory to ensure effectiveness. So, feel free to take down the home remedies and let us handle your deer management needs.
Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. And uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And look at this guy. He's got a new, there's new digs there for uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. How you doing, buddy? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Peg. I'm doing fine. How did the move go? Where are you? I have no idea. You said you're back in the hood. You said something like that the other day. Yeah. Um, for five years, we were at 800 uh, Jansen with a uh, Jansen uh, Judson, which is on the corner of Judson and Maine in Evanston. We went to the northwest part of Evanston, which is basically the suburbs, uh, and now we're back on 640 Hinman, which is um, essentially two numbers south of Judson, but it's actually one block south of Judson. So um, if you know Chicago Avenue. Um, I'm right behind the Walgreens, and I'm one block north of South Boulevard. So. <laughs> are you so? Are you trying to let all the stalkers know where where you live so that uh, they can show up on your doorstep? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to let everybody know um, that if you want any leftover stuff that didn't fit in my new place, you can have it. <laughs> oh, the big question is, Rick, where's the map? How's the map doing? Oh, the map is great. Yeah, we we um. Uh, when we moved last Monday, I saw that the movers uh, were kind of ahead of schedule, um, mainly because I did a lot of the moving myself. <laughs> so I go, guys, you see this map? Can you can you hang this on the wall? I'll give you 50 bucks. Um, plus, I'll throw in some double cheeseburger Chicago style from Mustard's Last Stand in Evanston, which is right next to Ryan Field, if you know what that is, guys. Yeah. Um, and they go, sure, we'll do it. Yeah, they, they make the best food there. Uh, so they hung the map. Um, and everything's fine. You can actually hear my wind chimes there. See them? Yeah. It's, uh, yep. There they are up there. There they go. Yeah. I can see it. Yeah. And and that's because we, we got a fair amount of wind this morning. Oh God. The wind yesterday was amazing. Um, and you know, what was really most incredible about this warm up, Mike and Peg was that we literally went from temperatures in the mid thirties. Saturday morning to basically the low to mid 80s, and especially areas a little bit further north in southern Wisconsin, because the temperatures actually went north of us. Um, Madison, Wisconsin hit 90 degrees. Yikes. Uh, Milwaukee hit 88. Lone Rock, Wisconsin, which is where the House on the Rock is, Dodgeville, places like that, um, along the Wisconsin River, hit 93. And what's really most amazing is those areas, because they cooled off so much, uh, during the overnight from Friday night into Saturday, because Friday was just really cold around here. Uh, there were some areas that literally had frost. I'm not kidding you, had frost early Saturday morning and got up to 88 degrees Saturday afternoon. There were some areas that had temperature increases of almost 55 degrees. All right, Rick, you did something. Uh, you brushed your mic or something. Something just happened there, and I. I there you go. You, I think you covered your mic. Yep. I do that every once in a while when I say <laughs> things that people don't agree with. Um, uh, but, but the bottom line is we literally jumped almost 50 degrees yesterday 
uh, in a matter of 20 hours. And if you look back at the month of April, and I, I said this two weeks ago, um, you look back at the month of April and you take eight, each day, and this would be a great science project for, you know, an aspiring meteorologist, some, you know, you know, sophomore in high school. Um, you look back and you see that every day, if you look at the average temperature for each day and try to associate it with it, which with the normal high, you would literally come up with, I'm not kidding you, probably several days of February, March, April, May, June, and even a couple of days uh, in July. Uh, that's how crazy this past month of April was. Um, and I think it goes to show that if you live in the city of Chicago and you live, say, east of Sheridan Road, you basically need 16 jackets during the month, during the season. Uh, you live west of 94, maybe 12. You live west of 355, maybe 8. But it's been one of the more dramatic up and down temperatures um, I've ever seen. Uh, we ended up three degrees above normal, uh, but only 0.71 inches of rain officially at O'Hare. And the drought has now expanded. Uh, moderate drought through all of southeast um, southeast Wisconsin, northeast Illinois. Uh, uh, Rick, Rick, uh, hang on. I wanted, you sent a bunch of graphics, and I, I got them all loaded here, and I want you to walk us through it. I hope you can see them okay uh, on uh, where you are there. Uh, can you uh, see that all right? This is uh, the yeah, first. Yeah, that's fine. This is the accumulated yeah, so, precipitation uh, from April 2nd to May 1st. Um, and, right. So and, this is, this... Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was no, just so going to say it's, it's a little it's a little deceiving when you see this. You look okay, yeah, we got some rain there. There, I can see the the greens, uh, the lesser rain, the blue is more rain. Uh, but then when you see the the subsequent maps, then you realize what we're really looking at. So explain this. Go ahead. Yeah, so I I, I think they probably need to change the colors on here <laughs> because to me, whenever you see green, you think you know lush. But it's light green, uh, so we got basically 0.5 inches, not only across southeast Wisconsin and northeast Illinois, but much of the state of Michigan as well. So this is basically about a half inch of rain. So if you go to the next map, you'll see that there's different ways that you could describe map, uh, describe maps. It's either the uh, total precipitation of what we call the departure from mean. And if you look at it, the departure from mean is almost two and a half inches. Uh, across northeast Illinois and southeast Wisconsin and a large area of one to two inches in Michigan and a huge area of minus uh, of, of three inches across Iowa and parts of Rochester. The next map is basically just going to show you percentages. So there's different ways you can also look at percentages, which is you can do some comparative analysis between, you know, years past. So this shows that we're basically about of, of normal, so about 25% of normal. But areas of Iowa, you're looking at about uh, 10%. And what's interesting is, is this actually extends all the way into the Rocky Mountains. So the only areas that got a lot of rain uh, was around western Illinois, uh, eastern of Missouri, and north, across northern Wisconsin. Uh, the next map, I'm not too sure what that's going to be. Okay, so that's- this is then departure. This is departure from me and but this is now a 90-day. Okay, so what I showed you before is just 30 days. This is 90. When you look at the 90-day, look where, again, it's centered. It's right over uh, Lake Northern Cook, eastern McHenry County, a large of southeast Wisconsin. 
Um, and then also Iowa and, and parts of southwest Wisconsin and much of the state of Michigan. And this is probably one of the reasons why that area warmed up just a little bit more than we did, only because the ground is warm and you're able to get that radiation from the soil back up into the atmosphere. Um, I'm not too sure what my next map is. If you want, you can go it, ahead it, and show it. It is, no. it is the drought, but I want to comment on this uh, first of all. I mean, yeah, if you yeah, look at ahead. if you look from February to May 1st, as you say, 90 days, and, and we're like the bullseye here. And it's, right. ki- it's kind of right. interesting how it extends right over the lake. So you could draw a line between uh, 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 Chicago and yeah, not quite up to Muskegon. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's interesting that that swath there, but so we're looking at from February 1st to May 1st, uh, departure from mean in our area is minus three, basically. Uh, and that's three inches, right? It's, it's actually four because the minus four is the beginning of that orange. Oh, okay. Minus four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're down four inches. And what's interesting is now when you start to get, you know, these warm, really windy days, not only do you increase the top three inches of soil temperature, but you really increase the evaporation rate. So the amount of water that you have to put back into the ground to replenish soil moisture is now almost twice as much as what you needed, say, a week or two weeks ago. So the further we get into, you know, increased sun angle, increased temperature, increased uh, when you begin to evaporate uh, that moisture that is in the top two, three, maybe even four inches. So if anybody is doing any planning this week, I would, I think it'd be safe to kind of either put it off or if you're going to plan something, go down about three or four inches or just expect to water it quite a bit because there's really not much rain uh, in our forecast over the next week to, I would say, 10 days. However, there is going to be a trend towards cooler weather, which means that the evaporation rate is probably going to uh, slow down a little bit. Yeah, uh, and, and okay, now I'm going to go to the next map, which is the drought map. But what I want folks to look at here who are watching this is that area that you just pointed out that goes from Iowa uh, into lower uh, Wisconsin and northern Illinois and through Michigan and that, that swath there. Look at it when we get to the drought map for the country and you can see that it extends that drought sort of extends along that line and you can see it go right into Michigan and actually East of that to upper uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania in New York and then into new England. So there's this weird swath of uh, really dry area. Obviously the, it looks like the West of the country is going to take over. Like it's going to engulf the entire United States. Uh, but there is and, go ahead and, and sometimes this sometimes this begins to happen when you get into like late June early July um, and think about it late June or say the middle of June is only five weeks away and we're heading into kind of a dry pattern you could see it the long-term forecast has this jet stream kind of like almost becoming almost zonal across the middle of the country uh, so it's not um, conducive to persistent rain. If anything, it's pers- it's conducive to rain staying where it's been across the southeast. But what's really amazing, Mike and Peg, is I was following a friend of mine um, who used to work with that fox. His name is Rick Ludley, and, and Rick just recently retired, and he's been doing this uh, across the desert southwest. 
and he came into the northern areas of Arizona around Flagstaff, and they wanted to do a certain hike, but they couldn't because there were brush fires. And even him, who is kind of like not a person who's really into weather and the environment, although he appreciates it, he posted on his Facebook page last week, he said, didn't expect this, but we're not allowed to do a certain hike near Flagstaff because of brush fires. Brush fires in April, and brush fires in April, someone explained this to me. And if you go to the next couple of, of pictures, if you want, you got to scroll down a little bit on the weather blog that I sent you. Uh, it actually shows that the brush fires in parts of New Mexico and Arizona um, are historically early. There you go. Uh, this was in New Mexico. Mike and Peg, this is scary stuff. I mean, we're talking about fires already in areas where you actually are thinking this is usually the wet season or the season where you call it the mud season, meaning that the ground is either saturated with a lot of water, uh, you have snow melt, um, and this is not good news because in New Mexico, but I think the next photo, uh, which is in the Arizona area, shows you how pervasive this drought has become. I don't, I don't uh, have that it, one. Uh, sorry, didn't get that one in, in, loaded in. Okay, that's fine. But the bottom line is it doesn't look much different. Uh, <laughs> wildfire, wildfire. Uh, but the fact that it's already in two states, in the south and west, um, is going to either be somewhat of, of, a, of a conducive nature to the overall dryness. Because when you start to get really dry um, and the ground stays really dry, whatever rainfalls evaporates very quickly. And we noticed this last year for the first time is that the heat from the wildfires, particularly in Northern California, Oregon, and Washington, actually added to the heat of the atmosphere. We've never seen that before. And in, in, in addition to that, we also noted that there was an increase um, in carbon dioxide levels to the point where it may have offset some of the decrease of people not using their cars we actually increased it with wildfires. So we're beginning to see this, this, this trade-off that we've never seen before uh, due to the fact that we're seeing some of these regional, um, regional high-end events become more of a player in these high-variability climate extreme events is, I think, the best way to, to categorize it. Uh, I want to get to that. Uh, you talked about the... Uh rainfall and here's the seven day and i would like you to sort of clarify what we're looking at because if if i i'm a casual observer and i look at the map i say hey looks like most of the united states is going to get some rain in the next seven days so explain it further for us yeah so again this has been the pattern for the last three months is that the south has been wet and looks like the south is going to stay wet so qpf basically means quantitative precipitation forecast. And this is a one to seven day, which means that over the course of seven days, uh, the heaviest rainfall, anywhere between five and seven inches, is going to be where they don't need it. <laughs> in areas of Louisiana, southern Mississippi, southwest Alabama, up into areas the um, southern Appalachians. Uh, where we are, you basically see that green. Green looks good. But then when you look at the map on the legend on the, on the lower left, it basically says 0.25 to 0.5. That's it. So we're pretty much between now and next Sunday expecting maybe about a half inch of rain. But then when you even look at the overall 8 to 14 day outlook, 
we're still looking at only a half inch of rain. So what, what climate scientists look, look at is, or, or people who study meteorology but do a lot of climate analysis in the short term, in other words, they use climate numbers to apply it to either short-term decision-making or some sort of adaptation mitigation process, meaning that by the time we get to about the 15th of May, our rainfall isn't really going like this. It should go like that. So what you're doing is you're, you're going down the up escalator. Even though we're expected to get about a half inch of rain, what you really need between now and the next seven days is about two inches of rain. And then over the next 14 days, you need about four inches of rain just to get back to normal. Mm. So even though we get a half inch of rain now and maybe a half inch of rain next week, instead of being down four inches, we're going to be down close to six inches Wow! in this area. And I noticed, I don't know if Peg noticed this, uh, but I've noticed some of the trees already beginning to show, especially yesterday because it was real windy, their leaves were beginning to get a little bit wilty. And these are the trees that obviously are pushing out their leaves. They're using a tremendous amount of energy stored up on the inside. They haven't really gotten the roots, you know, kind of saturated with water. They're trying to pull everything up. Um, so someone who studies trees and a botanist would be able to explain this better than me. Uh, but to me, it seems like if we don't get any appreciable rain between now and the middle of May, um, we're going to begin to see some of the stress of the drought on trees and maybe on some things that were planted. Obviously, when people plant stuff now, the first thing they want to do is water it like crazy. So Mike and Peg, maybe you could talk about it. You know, when people start to see things dry, you know, they'll probably overwater, right? So maybe you can address that. that well, issue. maybe, you know, no, you're making you're making some uh, uh, really good points about uh, the moisture, especially, you know, stressing uh, trees out. Um and uh, in terms of, of gardens, you know, when, when you get uh, something like that going, you're, uh, yeah, you're going to water stuff in. It's when it starts growing later, when, you're, when you want to do the deeper watering. Uh, when you're first starting it, you, you do a light watering uh, more often so that the, the, the seeds can germinate. Uh, and uh, when the root ball is smaller, it doesn't need to, uh, it's not going to absorb as much. But then later... When the root system gets deep, like you got tomatoes, and now the root systems just spread out like crazy, and they can they can go dry pretty quickly. Um, so, you, and you need consistent watering on a tomato because uh, the fruit will be affected. You'll get blossom end rot if you have uh, um, uh, inconsistent watering. So, yeah, I, I'm actually right at this moment. I'm concerned about all of it. The trees definitely. Um, because uh, you're right, they're going to use up their reserves of water, and I. And if you're telling me what you, you know, what you're saying is that the forecast doesn't look like we're going to get a change in this. It could be a really nasty summer. Yeah, and and already it's it's been shown that uh, usually when La Nina patterns begin to end, which this one is, you usually end up with the dry, warm summer. And especially when you have two in a row, and this is going to be two in a row, uh, it's usually the second one uh, that is worse. And what, what's really remarkable about it is you know, up to 87 degrees on Tuesday, that tied a record, and then the temperature just plummeted. I mean, it was freezing the next day. Uh, we were in the 40s around here on Friday. We made it up to 82 yesterday. We'll probably be close to about 85 today. Rain really won't get here until probably, I'd say, after maybe 9 or 10 o'clock tonight, but that's not going to be a lot. 
We'll get another little batch of rain uh, on Saturday, on Monday, but still I'm thinking less than probably a half inch. And then the front comes through. And then by, I would say, 7, 8, 9 o'clock Monday night, uh, the wind turns in off the lake. And those people who are watching that live kind of like where Pig and I do, about four blocks off the lake, um, it's goodbye summer back to fall. <laughs> I mean, we are literally, seriously, we're going to be in the upper 40s around here Monday night. And I would think for Tuesday and Wednesday, upper 40s along the lakefront. Lake water temperature is about 45 degrees. We were actually doing okay for a while. We were ahead of schedule as far as the, the lake warming up, uh, but that has clearly taken a turn for the worse. It's gone back to being just basically cool. And I'm thinking the next time we'll have two days back-to-back of 80-degree weather, I would say two and a half weeks from now. Seriously. Wow. Well, and and, and, yeah. and and something really important about this is that the cool weather will fake people out. They will think oh, the plants are doing great, it's cool, they don't need the water, and yet they're still stressed because they don't have water. Right. If right. Pe- people equate coolness with moisture somehow. It's a, it's a strange thing. You know, I don't know if you can go back and, and show the, the listeners the first page that I sent you that has all the information relating to... Um, where we were in the month of April, but where we were in the last three Mays. It's amazing how wet we were last May, the year before, and the year before that. I mean, we we set the all-time record for rainfall uh, for the month of May in 2018. We broke it in 2019, and we broke it again in 2020. I mean, I've never seen three consecutive Mays where we've had – rainfall literally over eight to nine inches it was like can please someone you know turn off the spigot and if you remember last year we got into the middle of june and then we went dry and we went bone dry yeah um all the way through um literally the, the the lawns turned brown and the only thing i think that really saved us was the fact that we had a lot of water in the ground from all the rainfall that we had so this has been something that we continue to see these high degrees of variability um, I don't know how the farmers are, are, are getting through. Do you plant, you know, do you plant wet-resistant corn? Do you plant drought-resistant corn? I don't know how they're doing it. Um, it'd be nice to talk to a farmer next week uh, because right <laughs> now planting plant, plant is probably going pretty well, especially since we've had dry weather. And one thing that farmers like in April, believe it or not, is dry weather so they can get their crops in. Um, but and, you know, we did, I, that's a good idea. I think I, I, we're 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 book solid for next week. But I think in the next couple of weeks, we could probably get a, a farmer on the show um, uh, sure. through some of our connections and, and talk about what they're experiencing out there. I think that would be fascinating. I, I do have sure. one uh, one photo I want to pop up here, and then we need to get to a forecast. Um, look at that. Um, you you sent this about the barrier to, for to prevent flooding from high waves, just as I would guess the lake levels are starting to recede and will be receding probably throughout the summer as, as far as we can tell. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're down about 11 inches from last year. Um, and I think the sad thing about this, um, and Peg, I don't know how much of these barriers are up by you, but they've totally rebuilt parts of Gilson beach up in Wilmette. And I, I guarantee you guys, these barriers, they're not going away. Uh, this is Lee street beach in Evanston. 
and they put these up there. And basically what they do is they, they, they drop down the, the large black canvas bags and then they fill them up with sand. And this goes all the way from Lee Street all the way to Demonstrate Street Beach because this part of the beach, uh, the waves would push over the rocks and then would flood Centennial Park. And Centennial Park was flooded, I would say, half a dozen times uh, last year where it either ruined the, the lawn or didn't allow people to you know, do their picnicking. But this is becoming a, a two-pronged approach, both environmental and economically, because the beach is still about half the size as it was the year before. So if you have half the size of the beach, that means you have half the size of a beach that's going to generate revenue. So the, the city of Evanston has to build back the beach so people would buy beach passes so they can then pay for all these barriers that they put up. So if you think about it, you're spending a tremendous amount of money constructing these barriers, putting the barriers up, but then you're not getting it back from the revenue. And I'm sure that all these communities were hit hard by the pandemic, and they've got to figure out a way how to manage the dollars and cents um, from a both economic and environmental standpoint. The good thing is now, I don't know if you guys remember, Daniel Biss ran for governor in the state of Illinois yeah. a couple of years ago. He's now the mayor of Evanston. Um, and he's very environmentally uh, friendly, very progressive, and hopefully they'll be able to figure this out. But the sad thing about it is those barriers that you now see up, they're not going away. And and I think it's good that they are, but maybe I think what the city of Evanston should do is put a sign up there and say, here's the reason why these barriers are up. They're up to protect you. They're up to protect the environment. Um, and this is the reason why. And maybe make it a little bit more of a, you know, you know, engage people on, on understanding why those barriers are there. Because they're very unsightly, but they're there to, to protect the shoreline. Yeah. All right. We need to get a forecast uh, and uh, get you out of here. All right. So 85 today, um, it's going to feel like July, but very low humidity. You'll notice it's dry out there. Not as windy as yesterday, but still it'll give my wind chimes a workout today. Um <laughs> Cloudy, cloudy tonight, rain after about 9 o'clock, rain likely on Monday, low to mid-70s, but then by about 9 o'clock, front comes through, um, and then just basically cloudy and cool for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, low 50s inland, mid to upper 40s along the lake, um, and then it looks like maybe another shot of rain around here um, Thursday night into Friday, but the pattern between now and next week looks like we're back in the first week of April. It certainly doesn't look like the first week of May. So if you can get out and enjoy uh, today or remember what it felt like yesterday, um, <laughs> you'll remember what it's like to enjoy two days in a row uh, when they fall on a Saturday and a Sunday. Wow. Uh, I didn't get out at all yesterday because I was working on this darn thing. And, and you know, even Peggy said, hey, you got to get out. It's a nice day. Well, that didn't well, happen. Get out, get out twice today, though. Oh, <laughs> okay. Rick, uh, uh, welcome back to uh, uh, to the land of the living. You've got a new place to live, and uh, it was great seeing you, and you have a fantastic week. Yep, thanks. Nice talking to you, Peg. <laughs> Bye. Um, and, uh, and that's uh, pretty much uh, what we've got. Before we go, though, I have to make a, a, a mention. This is the note from Kathleen. So... Um, it's the uh, 62nd Garden. Oh, is, is it on there? I didn't even see it. Uh, <laughs> I should look at that once in a while. Um, the 62nd Garden Video Challenge is up and running again 
uh, for 2021 uh, from the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Wherever you are in the country or the world, uh, certainly in Chicago area, uh, do a 60-second video of your garden. We have the May section. I'm sorry, the spring section and the summer section. Spring section is May-June. Summer section is July-August. And you might want to get shots of your garden now uh, before everything dries up into nothingness. Holy smoke. Um, it doesn't look good. Uh, oh, wait a second. Sorry, Peggy. Uh, you're, uh, you're, you're, I don't know how your mic got turned off. It did not do it on purpose. So here we go. There we go. So we've had people saying, my garden looks great in spring. So get out with your camera. Take pictures of all your spring ephemerals, your spring natives. I was wondering why you were commenting on, on Rick's stuff. Um, I was. I, I know. And, and you, I'm sorry. You should have just done like this. Hey, my mic's I off. I have, I have no idea why the mic went off. Um, but, um, yeah, so, folks, uh, get on board. Um, do a 60-second video of your garden. You can, you can enter it at chicagogardeningawards.org starting today. Um, and th- through the end of uh, June, now here's a, a pro tip. If you get it in now, you're likely to get more votes because it'll be up on the YouTube page longer. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. We get the, the total. Vote early, vote often. Ex- well, unfortunately, on YouTube, you cannot vote often. You can only vote once. But you once. can get your friends. You can Well, and that's the everybody. idea is just invite your friends. Say, hey, uh, I'm, I want to win the contest and, and make a, a, perhaps a little bit of cash. So the spring section. Uh, the 60-second garden video challenge is up. We're going to be getting some posts up today on various uh, media sites, uh, so you can enter it now through the end of June. Uh, get your spring garden, or if you if you think your garden looks better in summer, you can wait until July and do it then. Okay, that's and, uh, and you can enter both. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't enter more than once unless you have a separate garden, and then you could enter. But you can do the spring. You can do the summer. Yeah. So uh, my apologies. And community gardens. Uh, well, yeah, schools, community gardens, uh, businesses. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a, a, the uh, residential category and then the, the uh, not commercial, but the institutional category as well. Okay, we are really late, running late today. So <laughs> let's do it. And, and I apologize, Peggy. I had no idea your mic. I was sitting there going... Why isn't Peggy saying anything? Uh, usually she's uh, commenting a lot. Of course, uh, Rick had a lot to go through since he uh, missed us last week. Uh, let's thank everybody on the show. A great interview with uh, Nicole yeah. Virgil and Ari Bargill. How cool is that? Uh, right to Garden. Um, and uh, Benjamin Crumstock and Mike DiMucci from the Illinois Food uh, uh, Scrap Coalition. Uh, Rick DeMaio, of course, uh, Kathleen, thank you, up there, uh, Legata, and Basil the dog. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>